Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2019. Time for episode 72 of the Barnhart Podcast. So we just uh, wrapped up part one of the great Milo and Acedia podcast. I'm not sure what we're going to title it. Actually, maybe we'll call that Milo and Acedia. Um, yeah. So we, it, was, it was a rather dark episode. We talked about all of the I guess, negative aspects of what it is that um, people who predate on young boys who who are addicted to this negative lifestyle and, and who 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 will present the idea that there is such a thing as a good gay versus a bad gay when it, it, it's like saying that there's good magic and bad magic or white magic, black magic. No, it's all satanic. Yes. So, you know, if, if you fall into that trap, please wake up and realize that, you know, good gay, bad gay, they're both gay. They both crawl out, cry out to heaven for vengeance. It's not good. Don't fall into that trap. So no. we, we, uh, we spent over an hour talking about just the first, 11 and a half minutes or 12 minutes of the interview with Milo and uh, Michael Voris. And in this episode, we get to the next time point where it gets uh, actually into the political aspect a little bit. And Milo points out that he is a victim because he supported Trump. <laughs> well, <Yeah. okay. laughs> now a lot of people who did support Trump definitely became victims of the wild, radical, brainless, um, don't think for themselves leftists. But that doesn't mean that they're right. I mean, a lot of people who accidentally happen to be right, but uh, are on the right or, or be attacked by people who are wrong. Just because you're attacked by somebody who's wrong doesn't mean you're right. It could be they're just so stupid they don't know what's right and wrong. Well put. And it, I mean, I'll put in a plug right now. The Obviously, the big glaring um, exception to this, um, I don't know if exception is the right word either. Counter example to this is, of course, the lads in Kentucky. What's the school called? Covington? Who, who were just truly victimized only because they were standing there. And apparently one of them had on um, a Make America Great Again hat. Yeah, that, th- those kids, that lad, he's a victim. Um, I'm, I don't want to get into this whole, you know, Milo, oh, poor me. Cause I, because I supported Trump, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, just, you, you can't allow the sodomy thing to get, to get mapped onto that. And that's just kind of the, the quick overarching point that I wanted to make about that. Do you want to expand on that at all? Well, Milo makes a big point about him being very much in favor of, of um, Donald Trump. And he was a big proponent of Donald Trump all throughout uh, the primaries and since Trump was elected and, and inaugurated, as opposed to somebody, say, like Ben Shapiro, who is very conservative, and that is his shtick. He doesn't necessarily follow a person per se. It's it's the conviction, is the idea. And I, I draw a comparison of these two because at one point in time, Milo and Shapiro were supposed to debate about something. And Milo kept saying, I never got your email. I've been so busy. I've been talking all over. I'm so fabulous. I'm so wonderful. People love me. I couldn't get your email. And Shapiro was, you know, he, you know, was, was following all of the, the, uh, things that, that, uh, Milo was saying, if you want to debate me, contact me at this address and all the rest. It, it's Shapiro is very principled as a conservative, as opposed to being, uh, as, as opposed to Milo being glamorously, um, in your face and obnoxious. Mm-hmm. He's obnoxiously conservative. I would say Milo is. And mm-hmm. again, there's that problem of conservative and homosexual. They don't really go together. No. As opposed to conservative Jew and has a family and uh, is, is very 
okay, speaks faster than me and <laughs> is, is a uh, very, uh, quick witted and, and, you know, I think I honestly, I'm, I'm envious of Shapiro and how well he makes arguments because I, I have to listen to something he says about five times before I finally grok everything he said. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's to compare these two. Okay. Shapiro is somebody who's definitely conservative and has been heavily attacked for being conservative. In fact, he, uh, if you, if you listen to the, the talk that he gave at the national March for life, which was, you know, he was doing his own podcast at the point. It was one of the weirdest speeches on stage I've ever seen. If you see the YouTube video, he's sitting down behind a desk and behind a laptop, giving a talk to a crowd at the March for life. Okay. That's a little odd in terms of optics, but he was recording a podcast, but the points that he makes are unassailable as a conservative. And the thing that lost him to, uh, apparently, uh, this point, um, he, he definitely lost two sponsors, Shapiro did. And it's been pointed back to the, this singular point that he made, referring to the idea of, of pro-lifers, that they believe that every life is sacred and needs to be protected. And so the idea that some people on the left would say is, if you had the opportunity to abort Hitler, would you have done it? And Shapiro says, of course no. not. Because baby Hitler wasn't Hitler. The adult right. Hitler who, who grew into the, the fascist ideologue idiot that he became, that's the man that we all hate and rightfully so. If you could get baby Hitler out of the home and raise him with responsible people with a good set of values, he doesn't yep. become the person we know in history as Hitler. His father was an abusive drunk. He became, and his mother was super clingy and he attached, this is a common, this is a common story with sodomite men. And then by the time he was 14, he was working as a boy prostitute in, in the gay ghetto of, of Vienna or Salzburg, I think Vienna. Um, So yeah, it's, he, he became Hitler through this, this clearly identifiable abuse pathology and of course you don't of course you don't uh, abort baby hitler you just you put him in with in a good in a good household with good parents and you raise him right and he he probably might have turned out to be a pretty good artist or something he could have been he could have been anything just like any of us you know um no of course you don't of course you don't yeah, he, he might have been much better with watercolors just like uh, fidel castro in a better home might have actually learned how to throw a curveball and he would have been a baseball player instead of a politician Right. But the, the point, bringing it back around, is that Milo made this big deal about him being a victim because he supports Trump. Um, no. No. No, not buying it at all. Okay. So, um, next time stamp, I have 1449. I have stars all over this one. Uh, many gays in the UK Catholic Church are trads. He kind of, and he's kind of, you know, being quizzical about us because, as we said, Milo is um, he's English. So yes, absolutely, one hundred percent true. In Europe, in the UK, yes, trad parishes. There is this thing where there are a lot of these gay men running around there, and I've talked about it before and written about it. They view it. Um, especially now that we have this situation where there is the the old mass and the Novus Ordo, um, it kind of actually feeds this whole pathology of the notion that that people who go to the old mass are an elite. And in Europe, this is this is 
you see this all the time in Europe. Um, yeah, there are people who do believe that the Novus, uh, that the old mass is a species of a, a, a proof set that they are an elite case. And I've heard some of them even say, hell no, we don't want the Novus Ordo abolished because then, you know, the, the, the waiter and the bus driver and all these other plebs would be going to the same mass that we have. They don't, they don't want that. They don't want the lower class people, quote unquote, going to, you know, the mass for the elite intellectual effete snobs. And a lot of those people are in fact sodomites and elitism is a huge, huge dynamic in diabolical narcissism and therefore in sexual perversion, um, especially, especially amongst the men. Um, and especially in Europe, they actually believe that being a sodomite is a proof that they're more sophisticated, more intelligent, and they look down at men as being who, who are attracted to women and who get married and who have children. They look down on them as being closer to animals. And I, I'm not exaggerating this at all. I mean, they sit around amongst themselves and they talk about, well, ugh, you couldn't possibly expect people like us to, to, be be expected to associate and converse and have relationships with women. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous. And it, 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 you're and the listeners out there might be sitting there thinking to themselves, "My goodness, that sounds almost misogynistic." No, you think you think some of the biggest misogynists walking the, the face of the earth are sodomite men? No, of course they look down on women and think that women are you know intellectually inferior unworthy of their company. Absolutely. Absolutely. They do. But then you say, well, and they're, why are they kind of running with these, these women? Oh, but look at the women that they run with. Look at the women that they run with. They tend to latch on to basically train wrecks. The women who are running with fags are almost always train wrecks. So the kind of women that they want to be around, even if the women are intelligent, they want to be around the kind of women who are, you know, fat, ugly, crazy, mostly crazy, whatever it is, so that they can point to the women when they're alone amongst themselves, and even when they're alone with themselves, that they can point to the women that they're running with and say, see, that's the reason why I have sex with men. Because you, there's no way in hell that I'm waking up next to a crazy, screaming harpy, fat, you know, disheveled whatever for the rest of my life. That's why, that's precisely why they latch on to those types of women. Um, and so, yes, you're going to see, if you go to Europe, you're going to see this. And the fact that Milo is is puzzled and quizzical by any of this I, I guess that he's not, obviously he's not going to mass and he's not hanging around any trad parishes or anything, but yeah, I, I mean, go to the London oratory and see what you see. It's, it's, it's throughout Europe. I would say it's fairly ubiquitous that there's just sodomites hanging around. And I've had, I had a European priest one time say to me, look, there's always going to be Queens hanging around sacristies. That's just the way it is. You just you just have to grow up and deal with it. And I was like, no, if you're if there's some queen hanging around your sacristy, you throw his ass out. You say, get out of here. We don't we don't want it. people 
acting. We don't want guys who act queenie in here. This is a Catholic parish. This is not a gay bar. You take that behavior and, and you keep it the hell out of here and the hell out of this parish. You have to do it. You absolutely have to do it. But the Europeans, they have that whole, oh, it's like um, I made this point on the blog not too long ago. I can't remember the exact context, but it's like um, the French with adultery. And it's just it's just taken for granted that a French man has his wife and he has his mistress. And nobody – the French are so kind of morally far gone, especially since the French Revolution, that this is just – this is just completely normal. But to be honest, they were – they had this mindset before the French Revolution too. Um, that is just – oh, well, yeah, of course he has a mistress. That's no big deal. It's kind of the same way with sodomy in Europe. It's just, oh, yeah, you know – there's always going to be queers hanging around. So you just, it's just part of the way it is. It's no big deal. And they look down on Americans, especially. And this is the thing when Americans go to Europe, they're trying to prove that they're not American trashy hillbillies. Americans are trying to prove that they're sophisticated to the Europeans. And one of the ways that they do that is by adopting this um, turn a blind eye, wink and a nudge about sex perverts and sodomites running around in these in these social groups and in these parishes um so the europeans have that have that whole thing and that's a lot of the reason this speaks to what's going on now inside the vatican with regards to the american um outrage about mccarrick and all of this the european the europeans think that this is just no big deal and that you know, th there's always there's always going to be sodomite priests. In fact, they all know that most priests nowadays in the Novus Ordo are sodomites, and um, that sodomites chase teenage boys, and that's just part of the deal. I've again, I've had Europeans tell me that you know when they were kids in the '60s that every time they were if. I had one one European tell me that he went to a Catholic school, and um, you know they would, as most Catholic schools do, the kids were were taken to confession like once a week or something like that. Now this is back in the '60s, and he told me that every time when you hit a certain age, when you hit about ten or eleven, every time you went into the confessional, the priest would hit on you. Every single time I said, well, what in the world did they say? I mean, I just can't even imagine this. What did they say? They, when they were, and he said when they were young, what they would start doing is that the priest would lead them and say, um, have you been having any impure thoughts? For boys that are sufficiently young, like 10, 11 years old, they don't actually know what the priest means by that or they didn't back in the 60s. So the, the little boy hears, have you had any impure thoughts? Well, he's thinking that's something like, I was mad at my sister or something like that. And so the little boy says, uh-huh. And then the priest says, oh yes, well, I, I have impure thoughts too. And then he's, the, the European man told me that what they would say is the priest would start whining about how lonely he was. They would always start whining about, oh, I'm so lonely, and I just wish that I had someone who would come and spend time with me. And they, were, they would just groom them like this. And then what the European man told me is that 
what would then happen is that there were boys who would who would capitulate to this, knowing full well that what they were essentially doing was trying to become the teacher's pet, but with the priest in this in the Catholic school. And so th- those boys that capitulated to the priest in in almost a calculated way, those boys were called, quote unquote, the sluts. And then, you know, the boys who resisted and said no, they were not the sluts, obviously. But I mean, it was, but it was just, oh, it just, it happens. That's just part of it. The Europeans have this completely shrug it off, no big deal attitude towards all of this that Americans really just don't understand. So back to the Vatican today and all of this, you know, McCarrick stuff and all of the attorney generals and all of this, these people in the Vatican, they honestly think that if they just, if they just, you know, play, play the clock and let enough time pass and they're going to do this, this BS, um, uh, abuse conference coming up in February, and they will do absolutely nothing. They will say nothing. It will be a bunch of platitudes. This is what they think. What they think is that this is all just a bunch of American hillbillies getting all worked up about nothing. It's no big deal, and this is all just going to blow over. They they honestly believe this. They think it is no big deal. And so my advice to you all out there listening is you have to make damn sure that they're wrong about that. You have to overcome the acedia, as we talked about in the in the previous episode. You have to get over this acedia, and you do have to be mad as hell, and you don't let this die, and you do cut off all of the money, and you do, you know, go after whoever you need to go after, and yes, if we need to bring civil law enforcement in. We've talked about this, too, um, and there's the whole debate about be careful what you wish for here, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I just... Barring supernatural intervention, I don't see how anything other than getting the secular authorities involved is going to um, is going to have any effect on these people because they they really think it's no big deal and they just don't care. Um, so that's the whole you know European European uh, view of sodomy. South America, Latin America is weird because there's that real machismo culture, but there's also, they have that resignation to, oh yeah, there's always going to be queers around and oh yeah, queers go after teenage boys. That's just part of life. There's there's a lot of that culture in South America too, but not as much. It, where it's really, really bad is definitely Europe, I'd have to say. And that's the area where Muslims are threatening to take over the entire continent. The they they could never conquer Christendom when 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 uh, Christendom was strong, but now that the faith is dying, Muslims are taking over. I mean, it's only what yes. one or two generations before Muslims will be the majority in France. Yeah, we don't we don't, yeah. need, we don't need to worry about you know Saudi Arabia building a bomb. The French will do it for them. Those those yeah. transfer and shoot it at whoever they want. That's exactly right. And it will all be completely treaty protected and they'll be in NATO and everything else. Yeah. Just just a quick couple of decades and you will have um, militant, musloid, but native-born French citizens entering the French, the French military. Yeah. In fact, it's already started now. There's already militant musloids in the French military. Well, there's militant musloids in the American military. Who am I kidding? But, I mean, it's just going to become, yeah. It isn't, it isn't that, we're, that we're going to have to arm 
the Saudis or anything like that. It's it's going to be France. It's going to be Europe that does these things, and probably eventually the UK. Whatever whatever's left of the of the UK military, there's not much left of their navy, but they they must have a little bit of something left. Sure, that's all going to be taken over as well. And they're they're so far gone and they're so suicidal that they'll hand it over to the Musloids just happily. They'll they'll happily watch it happen. We might okay. Up, we might end up having to arm Saudi Arabia to defend them against France and and Great Britain. Uh, nothing would not much would surprise me anymore. Um, okay, changing gears significantly. At, okay. at about uh, almost seventeen minutes into the interview with Milo and and uh, Michael Voris, the topic of papal succession came up. And okay, huge caveat here. Obviously, the. The, the 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 manner of conversation here assumes that Francis is the Pope, which obviously Anne doesn't believe this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think Milo makes a, despite all of his other foibles and sins and, and deficiencies, makes a tremendously insightful point that I have not heard anybody else make yet. And the oh idea, yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. the idea of of uh, and Voris was was saying pointing out that this is one area where he and Milo disagree that Voris three months ago had a vortex or five months ago, whenever it was, uh, had a vortex calling for Pope Francis to resign. And Milo says, no, you don't want him to resign because popes should not resign. They need to die mm-hmm. in office. And yep. if you have two popes in a row, setting aside the fact that Anne is concerned, is, is, is morally certain that Francis isn't the Pope. But let's just say that, let's just say that we, we, you, you assume that Francis is the Pope. If you have the, the precedent mm-hmm. of two popes, resigning in a row, if you establish the precedent that popes resign, that they don't yep. die in office, I have to agree with Milo that the idea being that the papacy becomes little more than a prime ministership, that the College of Cardinals becomes pretty much like any other parliamentary system, whereas yep. there will become de facto parties, and if you if somebody is in power who you don't agree with, you make his life a living hell until he resigns. Yep, until he resigns. Exactly. And if you've been reading um if you've been reading the Barnhart.biz blog, you know that it's as of late, by necessity, it's become basically a one-topic space, working very, very aggressively on this entire question of um the Bergolian anti-papacy, which super nerd is not uh, does not share the position yet, <coughs> but we're working on him. I'm just kidding. Um, but what this speaks to is something that I've been writing about, which is this whole notion of demythologizing the papacy. And actually, you can remove the demythologizing of the papacy agenda from actually from the question of um, you know the validity of of Ratzinger's resignation and and all of that stuff. You can actually talk about it as a completely separate, independent thing because it actually is. Because this has been going on now for a while. This has been the agenda um, of the Freemasons of the German Academy. Um, they've been aggressively wanting to do this business of demythologizing the papacy, which means you have to remove all monarchical aspects. And Milo even used the word monarchical. You have to remove all sense of monarchy from the papacy. You have to remove all sense of the supernatural, demythologize. This is an explicitly used term 
in all of these um, all of these papers and all of these books that I and and other people out there who are were kind of you know crowd crowdsourcing this whole project. You know, I keep getting I've I received two or three really good citations in my email box just today, which are going to have to you know be posted. And we just keep plugging along with this stuff. But he but Milo's point about resignation demythologizes the thing and turns it into just a figurehead around exactly as you said super nerd around just this this council basically that's exactly what they want that's exactly precisely what they're going for and i'm pretty sure milo didn't realize this when he said it but he is echoing one of the big three errors criticized by archbishop lefebvre coming out of the out of vatican ii and the new mass, and that is the false collegiality that suggests mm-hmm. that the primacy of Peter is nothing more than just another bishop. He's just the bishop yep. of Rome, and he's yep. no more powerful than any other bishop. Yep, absolutely. And again, going back to this work that we've been doing in all this, I've been referencing this doctoral dissertation by J. Michael Miller, who is currently the um, Archbishop of Vancouver. It's a Rosetta Stone for all of us because it is addressing exactly what you just talked about, amongst several other things, the fundamental transformation of the papacy. But this whole business, that is one of the key topics in in Miller's dissertation. So finding this and realizing that they have been planning this, talking about this, driving this agenda for decades. Because remember, Miller wrote his dissertation in 1979, and he already has a tremendous, tremendous body of, of work that's already been done on all this in 1979. Since then, you know, there's been 40 more years of this. It's all, it's all been addressed about this whole notion of it's, the pet the papacy is a collegial or should be transformed into a collegial synodal shared office and this is how you bring the lutherans back in and this is how you bring the anglicans back in by just watering it down until you know well there there's a quote unquote pope but it doesn't really mean anything because actually the papacy is something and some of these guys are so crazy that they argue that the papacy extends to non-catholics and as i i've posted a um an excerpt from a ratzinger piece um in which he just he opens up by you know, considering this, he opens up this paper by considering this radical hypothesis of the fact that a monarchical, and that they're all against the papacy as a monarchy, Ratzinger is, is against it. He says it no longer, in today's democratized world, it no longer has relevance. I mean, th- these, these are the kind of things that Ratzinger has been saying. So, But he opens up this paper by considering this radical hypothesis that a monarchical papacy is actually, an air, is actually Aryan in nature. And that if you want to have a papacy that reflects the Trinity, you need to have three popes, one Catholic, one Protestant, and one Orthodox. And then, of course, you know, he presents he presents this radical hypothesis, and, but then, you know, continues on is just saying, well, we don't need to take it that far, but which, you know, I've been corresponding with, with people in 
in the academy and specifically in the German academy who say that this is a very common tactic to use, that you present, you know, you open a can of worms by presenting something that is 10 notches to the left, let's say, on the spectrum. And then you you walk it back like six notches so that your thesis is four notches to the left. But by comparison, you've now painted yourself as a relative conservative. Reading and doing this research about Ratzinger, this is exactly what he's been doing um, for a lot of his academic life, is that whenever you draw a spectrum, especially if you just limit it to the German Academy, um, Ratzinger's always on the far right. And if you had to label him, you would in fact label him within that spectrum, an arch conservative. But the truth of the matter is, is it's just damning with faint praise because you're comparing him to people like Hans Kung, who's super far left, Johannes Neumann, who, uh, who formally apostatized and became a quote-unquote humanist and super nerd, pop quiz. Humanism is the technical name for what religion? Masonry. Freemasonry, exactly. And Johannes Neumann died, sadly, in 2013, a, a humanist, a Freemason, which is doesn't bode well for his eternal soul. And and then then if you want to get your mind blown, people like Walter Casper then become centrists or even center right when you look at when you look at these this spectrum. And I mean we can see that this kind of maps onto the American political scene too, that you've got people who are what, what's what's the good comparison to make? Oh, go go at it the other way. Senator John F. Kennedy, okay, 19, 1958. Senator John F. Kennedy would be considered, if you dropped him into the United States Senate today, would be considered a uber-fascist, far, super-far, not alt-right, but completely, totally as far to the right, totalitarian, fascist, whatever that is, that you could call it. A self-loathing I, Democrat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we remember that it's a donut, so it, it curls back around. But the point being, Senator John F. Kennedy of 1958 would be the farthest right person in the United States Senate today by a long, 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 long way. And so you have to remember all of this, the spectral analysis of all of this. So yes, it just, he, he does make a very good point and collegiality, synodality, the demythologizing of the papacy. If this resignation business is allowed to go, that, that's, that is going to be it. Every, every valid Pope from, from here forth is going to be expected, is going to be expected to resign, which is weird because they're already old men when they're elected. So it's going to be this instantaneous, instantaneous presumption, pressure to to resign because, well, if nothing else, if nothing else, you're an old man. I wonder, I mean, I wonder how long it would be before there will be uh, pressure not to even elect a pope. 
uh, not very, not very long. It'll, it'll turn into um, just having, you know, what, that's why one of the things Bergoglio did, and it isn't Bergoglio, it's actually Walter Casper. Walter Casper is the one who's calling all the shots on this garbage, because you can go read Walter Casper's writings since the 1960s. And you just, you read what Walter Casper's written, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is totally what's going on. This is Walter Casper's dream coming to fruition. One of the first things that Bergoglio did was that he formed that that C9, that gang of nine cardinals, and said, you know, this is going to be this elite committee of cardinals who does this, that, and the other. Well, that's what they want it to eventually turn into. And it won't even be nine. It'll actually be four or five. And I, fa- I think it's down to five now because, you know, Pell is in Australia with the sex abuse stuff. Someone got thrown off for, you know, diddling boys or, or something, whatever it is. It's now been reduced to there's there's only four or five of them left, and they're just going to keep it at that. Well, of course. I mean, it's it's oligarchy. Durr, hello, it's oligarchy. It's a, it's a council of four or five guys running a mid-level, which is the rest of them, and then they're over the next level, which is the bishops, and then the bishops are over the next level, which is all the, the, the priests and the chanceries and all that. Of course, it's a classic model of corrupt oligarchy. That's what they want. Oh, and the other thing, I don't know if this is the best place to throw it in, but before I forget, where, where this is all going with and they're totally going to do the female deacon thing. Now, that will that will be invalid. You cannot ordain a woman to holy orders. So these actions, when they start doing these quote-unquote fake female deacons, are going to be completely, totally invalid. These women will not be any different than any other laywoman walking across the street. But the reason they're doing this is because what they're going to do is it's going to be female deacons, and then what will the next step be? Super nerd, what do you think the next step after female deacons will be? Complete insanity, I would imagine. I, I, I don't know. It's not female priests. I'll give you a hint. Child priests? It's, it's going to be it's going to be female cardinals. What? Yep, absolutely. Because there are there are cardinal deacons, there are deacon cardinals. You don't in fact, you don't have to be ordained a priest to be a cardinal. Did you know that? Because like Actually, um I, I did know that. And and now that you mentioned it, this makes a whole lot makes a whole lot of sense of, of yep. because you go to most parishes around the the country, at least in the United States anyway, your typical director of religious education is some woman. Yep. It's it's not it's not somebody who it's not definitely not the priest not somebody with religious orders. So why not keep the why why not allow the women to be in in the college of cardinals? Yeah, this is Exactly. This is, and if if you've got them as deacon, fake deacons and the whole world thinks that they're deacons, then you don't even necessarily immediately need to go to the priesthood. You just start making these female deacons into fake cardinals. And I mean at this point, now the discussion is you know, Father Linus Clovis's line, which is so true, is that the church and the anti-church today occupy the same liturgical, sacramental, and juridical space. But that that overlap is not going to persist forever. At some point, it's going to break completely off. Is this business of trying to fake ordain women to holy orders and then try to make them fake fake cardinals, is this going to be the sign that, okay, this thing, this thing is completely 
gone. This is the abomination of desolation standing in the sanctuary, you know? That's the question that we're all going to have to work our way through. And I've always said, it's going to be obvious when it happens. Our our Lord is not a jerk, and he's not going to, and the visibility of all of this is going to be, (laughs) well, it's going to be visible. Um, But we're going to have to, we're going to have to look at these things. And it, it reminds me of the joke of, you know, there's the joke about the Anglicans that, how does it go um the bishop oh yes going today the bishop is is marrying her wife or something like that and um and that the one anglican looks at the other and says i tell you what if they take one more step i'm leaving and you know the joke is you know female bishop marrying her lesbian lover but the anglican is sitting there saying if they do one more thing, this will be it. And that's exactly what Catholics are doing right now. They're watching all this stuff go on, and they're just sitting there saying, well, if they do one more thing, how long is that going to go? Are Catholics going to sit there and watch fake ordinations of women to the diaconate and then f- the the creation of fake female cardinals? And are, are Catholics, are trad Catholics, going to sit there and say... Well, if they take one more step, you know, I, I, I kind of am inclined, inclined to think that they will. Well, there's, there's a certain amount of logicalness uh, of, of having female deacons um, elevated to the College of Cardinals because there's already the, the covens of satanic worship in, in the Vatican already. Why not bring in the witches as well? Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those points where Milo was just dead on. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you, you do not want to uh, denigrate the the monarchical nature of the, of the papacy because all of this other garbage flows from it. And you know, this is a point we could probably go on for another hour, but uh, we need to get moving along on the, on the yeah. On we the need to get moving. Again. Yeah. The next major point on the timeline was was uh, Milo's point: make the Vatican straight again. And how curious is it? That an openly gay man, actively openly gay mm-hmm. man, calls for making the Vatican straight and saying that the problem with the church is gay priests. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. No doubt. No question. And why? <laughs> what is the problem intrinsically with a a sodomitical, even even just a, a same sex attracted man being a priest? Why is this just? Not just a bad idea, but a, just a complete disaster because, and I, I suppose we should put a link to my diabolical narcissism video in the show notes, because the overarching pathology that causes all sexual perversions, including those that manifest in a, in a heterosexual context, and there's plenty of sexual perversions that manifest in a heterosexual context, um, the overarching pathology is diabolical narcissism, the voluntary self-purgation of love. Uh, something happens, be it abuse, be it um, um, the, the, the deification of a child, a child who is told from the time he's teeny tiny that he is better than everyone else, that he's a demigod, and this happens, this happens, um, it's called the deification of a child. That causes this, but what what eventually, the wall that they hit is that for whatever reason, they say, that's it, I'm done, I'm finished, I will not love. 
I'm better than all of these people. I am separate. I will not love. And they voluntarily purge purge love from their souls. And then depending on the degree to which this happens and, you know, obviously if, if abuse has happened, so on and so forth, what happens is that the person goes into this downward sp- psycho-spiritual spiral um, because they they do not have charity and um, and that leads to all manner of sexual perversion. And so, you know, with with sexual perversion being bombarded at young people, especially in the culture. But you know what? Don't even limit it. Don't even limit it to young people because this is now happening to older people too. And and Milo touches on this later. We'll see if we get to it in, in this um, installation of this uh, episode two of this. We probably won't because I think it's pretty close to the end. This is happening now to older women. So women are getting into their 40s, 50s, 60s. They're um, freaking out, leaving, abandoning their husbands, getting civilly divorced or their husband abandons them, whatever, they get civilly divorced, and then they say, okay, that's it. No more men. I'm forswearing men. I'm going to be a lesbian now. And this is kind of like the new trendy thing for these, you know, postmenopausal women to do. It's kind of like the new... Um, older woman's rebellion or assertion of her independence isn't to get, isn't just merely to get divorced. Now it's to get divorced and then go run off and decide that you're going to be a sex pervert lesbian. Um, this is, so it isn't even limited anymore to just young people that this descent into sexual perversion can happen to anybody. So, I mean, y- you want to see, if you want to see what does a sex pervert look like this is this is a really harsh thing to say but this is the truth go look in the mirror everybody because of the fall and because of original sin and because of human concupiscence every human being actually does have the potential to descend into diabolical narcissism and to perform horrible perverse sexual acts Every human person has that potential. Um, And so this whole notion that, well, we can see these people coming a mile away and you can tell by looking at their faces. I, I would just encourage you, look at you know, look at the faces as as the these priests who are revealed to be sex perverts. I mean, most of the time you look at you look at the guy's picture and you really you can't you can't tell. You can't tell that he's a pervert. Watch the videos on YouTube of the, it's been like 15 years ago, but Dateline NBC did these hidden camera stings where they would um, go into chat rooms, which that tells you it was like 15 years ago. I don't know if chat rooms even exist anymore. They would go into chat rooms and they would recruit men who wanted to have sex with children. And they would, you know, draw them into these sting houses that Dateline NBC had all these cameras set up and the cops were waiting and all of this. And what you what is striking and terrifying when you watch all those hidden camera exposés of these men that just keep coming and coming and coming is how completely normal and pedestrian most of them look. And you you would just 
never know. And then they sit down and the, the Dateline NBC guy interviews them and they they sit there and every single one of them lies through their teeth. Oh, I didn't know. I had no idea. This is the first time I've ever done this. I was just coming to check on the on the boy. I saw that a uh, that an eleven year old boy was home alone, and I just wanted to come and check on him and make sure he was okay. They sit there and they just lie and lie and lie. Every single one of them, and almost every single one of them, just looks really normal. Um, so we have to get over the idea that. You know, sodomites look like look like drag queens or something like that because they don't. And the, even abusive abusive women. And there's more stories coming out about abusive nuns and and also there are lesbians who abuse girls in schools as well. Obviously, I mean, I could I can look back on my my public school days and look at you know some of those coaches of the girls' sports teams and just think, man, that was. That was no good. And, and I remember seeing one or two girls that I was in school with who, you know, were pretty girls with with pretty long hair and, and wore pretty feminine clothes. And then like sophomore year, they either play volleyball or girls basketball and they turn they just turn they turn into lesbians um, because you see they're trying to fit in with something and who knows, maybe some abuse or something happened as well. But um, I, that's, that's another thing. I'm, I'm not against sports and I think we've talked about this too, but you got to be so careful, especially with girls and going out for girls sports that your daughters are not recruited by lesbians. And if you see that, you know, if your daughter's playing soccer or volleyball or basketball or whatever, and she starts acting masculine, she, she changes her gait. She changes how she walks. Um, all those kinds of things, you you have to intervene immediately when you see that crap, and you have to put an end to it. You have to put an end to it. You cannot allow your daughters to fall into that lesbian lesbian milieu. Oh, that was a tangent. Where were we? What were we talking about? <laughs> um, uh, good question. Uh, I, I was looking all over the notes here to figure out where exactly we were going with that because we were jumping all over. Um, the, the point I had marked here and it's, it's a big segue is, is the, the idea of men who have failed relationships, relationships don't turn gay. Um, oh yeah. And, and, and prior to that, there was, there was the statement that you can't, um, you can't judge from your childhood, how it affects you in, in future life. And I get the impression you would say that's probably complete nonsense or BS or something along those lines. And I was thinking when I heard that. There might be some truth to that. We don't really know how that that develops. And it would be how interesting would it be to hear somebody like Father Chad Ripiger and uh, a clinical psychologist like Jordan Peterson talk about something like this. Oh, yeah. That said, the element of diabolical narcissism I wasn't thinking of when I wrote the notes. And, you know, that that influence would definitely shade things. And uh, so we were talking about the the, the women who, who get into their 30s, 40s, 50s, who aren't married, mm -hmm. who don't have God, and end up being these lang angry, politically motivated lesbians as opposed to, and that was one of the points that Milo made, is that, that he has made the point that he doesn't believe that lesbianism is an actual authentic sexuality, that, that women do this for political reasons. 
And Actually, I, I do want to jump on that because what I've been <laughs> both told and read is that um, to a certain extent that is true. Sodomite men want, want sex. It's not sex. It's sodomy. They want sodomy without emotion. Apparently, lesbians are the opposite. Lesbians want a te- intense, emotionally intense codependent relationships without sex. Here's what I kind of didn't know or understand about the whole lesbian thing. Apparently, when two women get together in this sexually perverted way, generally the timeline of how it works is that they only engage in sexual activity for a matter of weeks to months. And then that all mostly stops and it turns into, like I said, a intensely emotional codependent relationship. And so when someone like Milo says lesbianism isn't isn't in the same, I don't know how we put it, isn't in the same class, it, I mean, you don't, you don't find... Um, hyper promiscuous lesbians the way that you've got you know sodomite men who are literally going into public bathrooms and and parks and rest stops and things like that having completely anonymous sodomitical encounters with strangers that they never sometimes never see and certainly don't even speak to um and obviously bathhouses and things like that there's no lesbian analog to the bathhouse culture or lesbians trolling in in public bathrooms or parks because it is in a sense true that what the women are after is is kind of the opposite they want the emotion they want the emotion and the, the sex part is just kind of a weird um, mode, mode of rebellion or something like that. I, I don't know what you would call it, but actually it does, it, it dies, the, the sodomitical female lesbian activity in these, when these women come together and like and start living together and things like this, it's not uncommon for them to not actually be engaging in you know, those super gross sodomitical acts. It just is a weird emotional thing. So I think there is truth in what he's saying there. I have no clue. And I'm happy yeah, to say right? I have I mean, no clue. Yeah. Happy to all, say I have no clue. Yeah. It, it's weird. That, that's about all I can say about it. And that's, a part of me, a part of me wonders whether or not uh, the romantic era authors like Jane Austen exacerbate certain problems like this, heightening the importance of emotional love as opposed yeah. to the, you, know, you, you, you look at the sacrament of marriage, it's supposed to be sacrificial. Yeah. You, you, you are, you express your love by subjugating your own will for the greater, um, for the, for the marriage and, and for, yeah. and for the family. And that's absent both in lesbian and gay uh, relationships, I would imagine. So, and the next yep. major point was, you know, barring the lesbian aspect of it, the women who uh, don't have God, don't have meaning in their life, end up turning to witchcraft. Yes, this is exploding. I mean, you see witchcraft Satanism links now on Drudge um, at least once a week now, at least something, at least once a week, some damn thing is happening. And yeah, I mean, when you, the human, the human being wants religion it knows 
that there is something beyond the self and they're they're searching for that now they're politically ideologically they've been trained to mindlessly hate the one holy catholic and apostolic church obviously which is so what unfortunate they- unfortunate because what we have inside of us is a god-shaped hole in our soul mm-hmm. and without god we will always be looking for something inadequate to try and fill that hole always always and so these women are now turning to this they're finding i don't know if the female fellowship or and then can you imagine the men that are running around in those wicca circles and there are men who who run in those circles talk about you know codependent codependent hag fags i mean good grief talk about the most probably the least threatening men on the face of the earth, pathetic, just going and seeking out a bunch of lesbians or emotionally, emotionally pathetic women. Um, yeah. So the whole witchcraft thing is going through the roof and don't discount it and say, Oh, it's just a bunch of idiots doing, you know, doing meaningless rituals. Uh, yeah, that's what the demons want you to believe. That's exactly what the demons want you to believe. And they want you to believe that a Ouija board is no big deal and that tarot cards are no big deal. And that, Oh yeah, you can go when you go to the, the state fair, you can go to the, to the fortune teller and that's no big deal either. Oh, of course, of course there's, these things are throwing open the door to the demonic, throwing it wide open. Um, and it's terrifying to think about how many people, and yes, a lot of these these women are getting involved in this garbage. Well, and not just women in their middle age when they get dissatisfied with whatever's going on, but it's being pushed through the media as well. I mean, it used to yeah. be Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That's That was the 90s. I don't know what's going on today, but it I know it hasn't, well, Harry Potter and, and uh, a lot of that. I don't even know what all the modern vectors are for pushing witchcraft, but I would imagine it has not abated one bit. Oh no, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all that, and well, it's that interesting. Was 90s you also, it, yeah, you brought up Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The thing that I just saw, somebody sent it to me, is that they're rebooting that because that was now that was twenty five years ago, um, and so they're rebooting that. And I watched, a, and they said, the, you know, I got this, and the person said, you have got to watch this. This is absolutely. This is full-blown Satanism. And I watched the trailer for this. um, I suppose it's on Netflix. It's streaming something or Amazon streaming or whatever. And I watched the trailer for this television show, this rebooted Sabrina that there, it it was, it was full blast Satanism. I mean, not even trying to hide it, nothing. And presented as, as you know, the Satanists are the protagonists. Um, there's been a show on television, and again, I can't keep up with it. I don't know what network it's on. But the show was literally about Satan, um, you know, walking around the world and interacting with people with Satan as the sympathetic protagonist of this television show. I mean, I mean, what do you, what do you even do? say at that point I, they're, they're they don't even have to hide it this is the new this is the new trendy on fleek thing is is satanism is witchcraft 
don't even hide it. Don't even hide it. And, you know, don't think for a second that that isn't directly correlated to what we were talking about in the previous episode about what's going on in New York. And they're lighting up the, the new World Trade Center tower bright pink to celebrate the fact that infanticide has now been legalized. If you think that these things, that these phenomena are not connected, you're, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Well, in, in terms of witchcraft, it's not new. I mean, it, it may have had more innocent looks in the past, like Jeannie, um, was that the 60s or 70s? when? Yeah, late 60s. I dream of Jeannie, yep. Okay, I, I didn't remember the whole name of it. But I seem to recall uh, some, some movie in the mid-90s. I, when I was in the Navy, I watched a lot of movies because I wasn't involved in all the rest of the other vices that sailors got into. Um, there was, I, I remember vaguely some line in one movie that had to deal with some, you know, high school girls that got into witchcraft. But the reason I remember it is because later on, um, when, when I was learning about, uh, binding prayers, which are taken from the exorcism ritual, they were in part verbatim, the whole idea of, I bind you. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, they were binding some other person who was doing some bad witch who was doing something wrong. It's like, Whoa, when I realized the connection there, it's like, that was not innocent at all. And, and, but it was, it was very, it was very, um, covert in the way it was coming across. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is what they were doing 20 years ago. I don't know what in the world they're doing now because one thing for sure, they're not hiding this anymore. It's not exactly verboten to even be upfront and say, you know, we're, we're pushing an an agenda to be a cult, to be Wiccan, to be whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's just, it's, it's considered, I think at this point, it is considered more socially unacceptable to be a devout Catholic than it is to be a, a practitioner of a witchcraft or a preternatural worship of demons or something like that. And I'm not being facetious. I think it's more socially unacceptable to be an orthodox believing Catholic. It, 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 also, it also brings to mind... Um or makes me think that we're coming to an inflection point of sorts where, you know, we, we've talked about Father Ripper's talks on, on the uh, generational spirits and uh, Gen Z would be the, the last in the series. And the, then the, the topic and the Gen Z is now that's the young mm-hmm. kids now. And the question of what follows Gen Z, nothing, nothing. Well, it, it's either nothing or you reboot the cycle, I guess is a couple of different ways of, of thinking about it. And that's one of the things that kind of caught my attention is something uh, Milo was talking about is he says he's, he's looking at Gen Z as possibly being a, an inflection point where we reboot things back toward the normal way of doing things. That the, the idea that back in the 60s, women would burn their bras as, as, a, as a form of protest, that he's looking forward to or, and, and is hopeful that before long, women will start burning briefcases and saying, briefcases, no, we want to yeah. be, be moms. We want to nurture life. We, wanna, we want to raise families. Yep. We want to reconnect so, with with what is true and beautiful and good. I I would love to hope he's right on that. Well, we hope and pray breath, that 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 will become the new form of rebellion. And I kind of put in my notes around this general area. First of all, be wary of any woman who goes around crowing about about girl power, or anything like that. Run in the opposite direction from that. But then, you know, we got into the whole discussion of 
and recapitulating this, when you take God out of a woman's life, she has no husband and children, things go sideways. And this reminds me of the essay, essay I wrote in what would have been early 2016, which was originally published at The Remnant, but I've since republished it on my blog, and we'll put it in the show notes. And it's it was called Go Clean Up the Kitchen, You Stupid, Stupid Woman. And it was one of the most read and commented on, and, and you know, it was all glowing um, feedback for any remnant column ever, you know, and the, 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 the crux of my point is, is that, you know, these women are, you know, you're coming off of what now third, fourth wave feminism, whatever it is, where all they've been saying and all they've been preaching is that traditional female roles, wife, mother, housekeeper or um, housemaker, homemaker, that these things are all a form of, you know, slavery, oppression, et cetera, et cetera. And so I write this piece that, that makes the point that, you know, a woman should be absolutely grateful if she has in this day and age, if she has anyone to clean up after, kids to take care of, and that they're the tie-in I made to it was the movie made in 1955. In fact, it won Best Picture of 1955, Marty, starring Ernest Borgnine. And the side plot in Marty is about Marty's Italian mother, Italian immigrant mother, and her sister. They're both Italian immigrants. And they're sitting around, they're 55 years old. They're in their mid-50s. And they're sitting around talking about the fact that they're you know, both of their husbands are dead. All of their, almost all of their children are grown and moved out and have their own families. And they're sitting here just absolutely lamenting the fact that they don't have anything to do, that they feel like their lives are empty and that they have no meaning because there's no one to cook for. There's no one to clean up after. There's no one to iron for. And it's so interesting because modern females today watch a movie like that and they cannot, they cannot comprehend. Um, they cannot empathize in any way with what these women are saying. You know, the whole, the whole modern female zeitgeist is that you're, you're gunning to get to where you don't have kids anymore. And then eventually, as we were talking about earlier, you dump your husband and then you're free. You're free and then you get to do whatever you want. You don't have to clean up after anybody and you don't have to cook for anybody and you don't have to do any of these things. And, you know, it's it's so sad and so pathetic because, you know, if you've, if you've never had anyone that to take care of, if you're a woman and you've never had anyone to take care of in that sense, um, you, you understand and appreciate how it would be an, a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you did in fact have someone to clean up after, if you did have someone to someone else's, you know, clothes to iron or something like that, the ability to love, the ability to have somebody to shower love upon in this mode of keeping a house, cooking, cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. Modern women cannot understand this. Most of them can't. And in fact, they're gunning for exactly the opposite. And so, yeah, it's it, the, the modern, the modern milieu, especially with women is just completely driven towards train rectum, you know, women, ironically, they're going to end up dying alone and it's going to be so unnecessary. They're going to have contracepted and aborted away all of their children. Um, they're going to abandon their husbands 
and then yeah they they are going to die alone and to to listen to them talk in their youth that's all they want oh i hate having i'm i'm just a slave i'm just a slave i'm just a slave well be careful what you wish for you know because you might just get it yep um looking at the time and, and looking at the timeline um mm-hmm. <laughs> We could probably easily go into a third episode on this, but I, I want to skip over some some uh, some of the in betweens here. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's some good points. Maybe we'll come back to this in a later episode, especially yeah. the idea that uh, the, the men entering the, the priesthood now, the, the the gay men entering the priesthood now, would be the the woman in, in a gay relationship. And so you have an inter- yeah. inherent problem here that you you don't have the authentic masculinity that would be necessary to be another Christ. I mean, Jesus was not effeminate. He was very masculine, but let's skip past this because I want to get to, um, well, and just, and just summing up what we were talking about with the diabolical narcissism. Um, if you know, gay priests, gay men, they have by definition made the, made the free choice to purge themselves of love. How in the world can you be an altar Christus? if you have voluntarily purged your soul of love. I think that's the big take-home point there. That's why that right there is the primary reason why any man with sexually perverted, with a psychosexual perversion, and certainly who's, who's gay, has absolutely, positively no business anywhere, anywhere near the Catholic priesthood because you've you've purged yourself of love the call to the priesthood is a is an even more radical form of love you know you have to be an altar christus you have to be you have to be the spiritual father to to all of these people um this this massive sacrifice of your of your life and all of this and you're telling me that you want to recruit people into this who have purged themselves of love um, I, I, gee, I wonder why that is not going to work out, you know, and you've got all these, um, priests who have all of these personality disorders and who are driving people out of the church by being nasty and rude. And, and, um, uh, what's the, what's the buzz term that, um, that Bergoglio uses. And it, it is, a, it is an actual thing. Clericalism. They're being clericalists and, you know, just being nasty and horrible to people. Well, yeah, because they're diabolical narcissists. Um, the fact that they're gay is is derivative of that. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little there. abrupt. Sorry. Sorry. That's all right. But the the the, the larger point, or the 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 part I was trying to get to at the toward the end here, um, was the last ten minutes or so of the interview. And that was where, to me, this was this was more poignant than any other part of the interview. Although there was a lot of interesting points. I mean, uh, Milo pointing out that uh, Bergoglio is a Peronist, which you've heard that before if you've listened to yep. this podcast. But when when Michael Voris, as somebody who was formerly active in this lifestyle, for lack of better terms, tries to do an outreach and say, leave the lifestyle, become Catholic. And just the, the conversation that ensued from that and and uh, Milo saying, I can't do that. I can't. I cannot live a chaste life. Or when when directly asked, could you live a chaste life? He's like, No, I couldn't do it. 
No, he, he says it very, very emphatically. No, absolutely not. And then he launches in, this is where it gets really awful. He launches into this whole apologia for himself saying, my sodomy partner makes me better. My engaging in sodomy gives me potency and power, makes me a better person. Um, then he, oh, then it broke my heart. Apparently, whoever his, his current sodomite partner is right now has children, whether or not this person fathered these children naturally or or bought them um, in, in the human trafficking that sodomites are now doing. And I'm sorry, but all sodomites, ado quote unquote, adopting children is a species of human trafficking. Um, but there are children involved in this situation. And, and Milo specifically says, oh, and now, you know, I've been able to be around my, my partners or my husbands or whatever he calls them, uh, children, and that's made me better. And, and you're just sitting there listening to this and saying, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. And then he goes on, oh, he says that um, virility he, he obviously doesn't know what virility is. Virility is a virtue that transcends sex because our uh, sex in the sense of, of gender, uh, because our Lord told St. Catherine of Siena that she needed to develop virilitas. It is it, all virtues transcend male, female. Everybody should have all of the virtues. Um, and, but Milo specifically says that at the like 55 minute mark, that virility is sex that engage, but he, he isn't even talking about sex. He's talking about, and, and maybe I should be more precise and, and say sex acts or the marital, but he doesn't engage in the marital embrace. Oh, it's so difficult to discuss this stuff. What, what he's talking about and again, this is where the adult content warning comes out. What Milo is talking about is he's talking about ejaculating. He's talking about having orgasms. And he he tries to argue that ejaculating and having orgasms is virility, which uh, no, that is that is completely, totally, totally wrong. Totally wrong. Um, that is not what what you know, or, or masculinity. That is not what masculinity is for heaven's sake. He's so terribly confused and it just, it gets so cringy and, and so bad. And then he, he goes on and he says things like, I wrote this quote down directly. I could try forever. That is to be chased, but it would be impossible. Um, have you not heard the scripture that says all things are possible through Christ, my savior? I mean, I've, no, it, it would be impossible. It would be impossible. He's just, he has no interest in it whatsoever. He has no interest in chastity. On that point, Voris was very precise and very correct in pointing out that yes, on your own power, you can't do it. Grace perfects nature. You mm -hmm. must you know, conform yourself to the sacraments and, and the opportunities that, that Christ gives you through the church. Otherwise, you, you're right. You cannot do this. And it's just, it's like you're, it, it, at that point, more than any other point in the interview, it's like you're talking to somebody who doesn't really understand Catholicism at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking because obviously that person, he dies, he goes to hell in a very yeah. deep part of hell at that point, at that. 
And and he says, I mean, he tries to paint it that he's so devoted and so in love with his sodomy partner. What he actually engages in, and I even ti- I timestamp this quote as well. Fifty nine thirty five. Milo engages in straight up idolatry because he says my my sodomy relationship comes first, then maybe God. Okay, he is put his sodomite partner, and you know, let's let's even, for the sake of argument, let's remove it from the context of sodomy, and let's say he's talking about a girl, or even his wife. Nothing, nothing, nothing comes before God. You don't, you don't say, well, you know, my girlfriend, uh, a man doesn't say, well, my girlfriend first, then maybe God. You don't even say my wife first, then maybe God. God is, the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason. And if you get these things out of order, you're engaging in idolatry, you are, and you're just, you're on the road to hell. You're at, but he's trying to paint it as virtuous, that I am so devoted, you know, to whoever the man of the moment is. And let's be honest, how long do these sodomite relationships last? They're measured, they're measured in days, weeks, and if they persist for months, that's a long-term sodomitical relationship. So don't buy for a second that, you know, he's, he's thinking about living to age 90 with whoever this man of the moment is. No, he's not. He, none of them are. They're never thinking long-term like that. They're certainly not thinking about being monogamous in any way. And, you know, they... I, I could kick myself. I found a, a clip, an interview, and I can't, I can't find it anymore. I can't remember what exactly it was or what the search terms would be. But they're interviewing these sodomite men, and they're talking about, you know, sodomite marriage and all this. And one of them just says straight out, "I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in any sort of monogamy. I want all of the legal benefits of being legally married to someone: the financial benefits, the tax benefits." It's the um, the estate planning benefits, all that. And then he says, and I want to F twinks on the side, except he says the F word. And he just, the, the, the satanic coldness with which he says that was just, oh, I could kick myself for not being able to find that clip because everyone should be, should have to watch that. Everyone should have to watch that because that is the sodomitical mindset. I want all the legal benefits. On the contrary, I'm glad you don't know where that is because I don't want to watch anything like that. I know, I know. Well, and one of the final points he makes when when Voris asks him the question, what's it going to take for you to, to break from that lifestyle and consider Catholicism, you know, authentically? And he says it would it would have to be if he broke up with his current partner. Right. At which point when I hear this, it's like, okay, I'm praying for him to break up with his partner. Well, exactly. Exactly. And then after that timestamp, this is where the Voris really dropped the ball also in a sense, I think. And, and I mean, he Voris didn't do nearly enough in this, uh, in this interview. No mention, and you know, Voris goes into this thing, oh, we're all going to pray for you and all the people watching this video, which is absolutely true. You know who was completely left out of the prayer intention in all of this was Milo's sodomy partner, who is a human being as well and is in just as much trouble as Milo is. And also, it should also be mentioned, whoever this child or children are that's involved in this mess. But um, 
it's not just that we have to pray for Milo. You have to pray for the for his sodomy partner too, every bit as much. Yes, I hope they break up, and I hope they both. Uh, I hope they both enter the enter the church, repent of what they've done, be sacramentally confessed. If I think uh, Milo is already Catholic, I think he's already in. So I mean, just to think, what a waste! One good confession, one good sincere confession—that's all it would take. And they—it's so easy, and they just won't do it, and they're so intransigent transigent about it. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible, because because he can't. He can't go through life without having orgasms. I mean, it's so pathetic. It's so pathetic. But there it is. And not just orgasms, but it's the whole gay lifestyle. And, and one of the things that occurs to me, too, is if you're somebody who's, who's, who's struggling with some kind of sin, whatever it is, you're probably not dealing with something nearly as intense as what Milo is going through. And yet yeah. one confession, you can turn it all around and be on the right track. I know that sounds simplistic. It sounds overly easy, but it really is. Grace perfects nature. Don't wait. Go to confession. Yep. We, we have confession. and We have the ability to go to confession regularly because we are humans. We are fallible. We, you know, one confession doesn't make us perfect. <laughs> it's we're, we're not angels. You know, God well, remember- understands that. The, you know, the way of the cross, which you should do year round, not just during Lent. Remember, as our Lord was carrying his cross to Calvary, fell three times. Well, there's three, a reason. There's three that. times recorded. It actually well, says, yeah, in yeah. The, it says in the St. Francis version of, the, of the, the way of the cross that he fell many more times, mm-hmm. but only three are recorded as stations of the cross. Every, everything has meaning. I mean, especially, especially with regards to the passion. Absolutely everything has meaning. The reason he kept falling under the cross is communicating to us. You're, it, it's not that we should go to confession, um, going into confession with, without a firm purpose of amendment. Don't do that for heaven's sake, because that invalidates the confession. It's presuming upon God's mercy. It's sacrilege. Don't do that. That's not what we're saying. However, um, being that we are fallen, concupiscent human beings, it is, it is not unreasonable to think that it is possible that, yes, we will fall into the same sin again. You go back to confession and you start over. You don't game it. You never, ever, ever presume upon God's mercy, ever. That's, that is one of the worst sins that there is because you're saying I'm gaming the system and I'm going to nail him to the cross and I'm intentionally going to keep doing this because I choose, I choose to keep committing this sin. Um, and he's going, and I know he's going to forgive me because I know he's in infinite mercy. So therefore I can just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. No, that, that's not the system. That's not the way it works at all. But it also is understood that we are weak, the flesh is weak, and that we do tend to fall back into sins, et cetera, et cetera. Just keep trying, keep going back, keep working at it, and it will get better. And if you want it to get better, God will give you the grace, and it will get better. And you don't have to just fall into hell. No one, no one has to go to hell. It's a, it's a choice that people make. And it reminds me of, of um, advice given in a sermon once that uh, if, if you have, if you have been a great sinner, 
in the past and you turn it around, what you, the, the overcoming the sin is like, is like fertilizer for, for plants in a sense that the, the, the tree of life can be, can grow more. It's not an excuse to go out and sin, obviously. And the priest was very clear in saying that, but it was, it was to not be discouraged by the fact that you've done great evils. I mean, St. Augustine didn't exactly throw in the towel because he wasn't leading a perfect life. Exactly. And they, they reference St. Augustine. And in fact, Milo references St. Augustine with, I don't know if this is an accurate quote or not. I, I think I've read somewhere that St. Augustine actually didn't say this. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But it, the it, quote is- It's one is, of those great quotes that, that the, the, the author may have never actually said. Exactly. And it is, the prayer was of St. Augustine was allegedly supposed to be, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. I don't know. I don't know about that. that but the point is, and re, and Milo referenced this. Um, yeah, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. I mean, he's he's got a mind toward gaming the system. He's probably thinking that what he's going to do is he's going to live his life and he's going to do whatever he wants. And then when he's 90 years old and on his deathbed, he'll call for a priest and he'll make his confession and maybe even receive the the apostolic um the apostolic pardon and all that and boop jesus has to let him straight into heaven well jesus is infinite mercy but he's also infinite justice absolutely and and you're not gaming him you're not gaming him if you think that you can game christ almighty and that you can and you can work some damn legalistic angle and and con your way into the beatific vision you are as deluded as a human being can possibly be. God is all and merciful, but God is not mocked. No, he's not played. He's not gamed. He's not tricked. None of that. None of that. So these people who go through their lives, and there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of Catholics who do it, who do the whole, well, whatever, I'll just, you know, when I have cancer or whatever, I'll just make sure I call for a priest before I slip into that last coma or whatever it is and make sure that I get all the sacraments on my deathbed. Well, are you sorry? Or are you, or are you proud of yourself that you game this, you quote unquote, gamed the Catholic system so well? Um, if you die with that whole, <laughs> gotta love the sacraments off scot-free, if that, if you die with that mindset, I would not have much confidence in you getting through your particular judgment. No way. Don't waste time. Go to confession. And yep. to that end, let's wrap this podcast. Uh, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, insights, ideas is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for ends benefactors. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Every day, there's a mass set for Anne's benefactors. Anne, is that only limited to people who donate to you? Nope, it's also supporters. I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's like all of the contests that we entered as kids and they advertised on Saturday morning TV. No, no purchase necessary. <laughs> no purchase necessary. So if you if you would just say a prayer for me, and I know a lot of you are, then God knows that you're you're on the list too. And please take a moment to join your prayer intentions with those priests who are celebrating these masses. And mm-hmm. please pray for these priests and, and all priests. Without these priests, we don't have the sacraments. And without sacraments, Satan um, would drag us all to hell. We just wrapped up this this episode talking about get the confession. You know, yep. 
be live a sacramental life. Um, it doesn't matter how you know pious or traditional or non-traditional. If it's a valid priest, and when Milo makes that that uh, change of, of heart that he's going to rectify his life, any priest will do. He can yep. give him absolution. Pray for these priests because Satan knows that they 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 are what can can uh, free us from his his hand. So yes, pray for and priests. Y- you know, it just occurred to me as you were saying that um, priests, especially in these dark days, need our prayers because can you imagine the, the the sewage that they're hearing in the confessional? Can you imagine the severity of the sins that just the average workaday parish priest out in middle suburban or even rural America, because everybody has the internet and everyone has access to pornography and all this kind of stuff. Can you imagine how difficult it must be for, for a priest today to go and sit in that confessional and, and hear all this stuff and have to have something to say back to these people. Um, now, of course, we all know that where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So we have all the confidence in the world that you know a good priest sitting in the confessional god is going to give him the grace you know to work th- god is going to work is is absolutely working through that priest and that if the priest you know is good and sound and is open to it that he'll be able to not just stand it but he'll be able to actually maybe say good helpful things and help people but just on a on a purely superficial level Oh man, can you imagine being a priest today and hearing those things? Well, so and, yes, and being they, a priest is a sacramental vocation, and they definitely have grace of state uh, yeah. for being able to handle exactly what you're talking about. That said, that's no, there's no reason to not pray for them. They definitely need our prayers because it, it may. There, there are a couple of priests locally who who uh, have asked. There are certain souls they're working on. They're, they're, they've been talking to them. They're open to conversion. They just haven't made that that push yet. All mm-hmm. the sacramental graces in the world can't help that. But like our, our, our lady of Saint Fat or our lady of Fatima says, um, a lot of souls are lost because people don't pray for them. We've yeah. got to join with the priests. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it one priest trying to trying to convert somebody is 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 not as effective as an entire prayer army. Trying to trying to wrap uh, that person in in God's protection. So. It's almost like it's almost like all of the people in the church on earth are almost like an army or something. Almost like the like it's a church militant or something. Like oh wait a minute, that's a great. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get that name churchmilitant.com. Church militant. Yeah, you should write that oh, down. Darn it, somebody got it already. Nah, that's a great idea. <laughs> great idea. Uh, the Varnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media, and if you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And there are some new monthly um, PayPal contributors, uh, Brian, Camille, and Arthur. Not, well, they're not all new. Uh, one of them is. And also via the P.O. Box, the double secret engineer struck again. He wrapped uh, pages five and six <laughs> of the real time clock plus RAM schematics. You know, only a couple more of these and I'll be able to uh, have the complete set, which is, wow. you know, awesome 1980s vintage technology. So uh, thank you, double secret engineer. I'm really enjoying geeking out on studying all the uh, circuit diagrams. Thank you. 
And um, Matthew seventeen twenty, I could give an abbreviated version, but Anne, you do that uh, one so much Let me do so it. Let better. me do it. Matthew seventeen twenty initiative. It's what I've been doing for oh over like a year and a half now, almost. Goodness. And uh, well, uh, not to not to give the store away, but it seems like um, things are coming to fruition. Well, well, hopefully we can have uh, things to talk about in the near future on that. But what the Matthew seventeen twenty initiative is is fasting, I full fast twice a week um, for the following intention, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, be publicly recognized as having been the one and only Pope since his election in April of 2005, and then beyond that, that Bergoglio repent revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and eventually achieve the beatific vision, and that also Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of what he's done, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less than that will do. Not only do we have to rectify this whole papacy situation, we have to get both of these men into the beatific vision. And if if that doesn't happen, there will be a, a component of failure. And I'm obviously... I'm referring to Bergoglio here. It's it's really easy to um, have acedia with regards to the eternal fate of Bergoglio's soul, but we cannot succumb to that. We've got it. We've got to pray Bergoglio into heaven, guys. So, talk about fasting and and praying. Good grief. We got a we got a big big task here. But we hand it over to Our Lady Undoer of Knots, Saint Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, Saint Vincent Ferrer, who backed an anti-pope for a couple of years. So you know that he's all about getting this whole situation squared away and is solicitous for all of us. Um Saint Catherine of Siena, Saint Peter, obviously, and we've also added to the list um, Blessed Charles the First Habsburg and his wife Zita, who were who he was Holy Roman Emperor, um, Emperor of Austria Hungary, and he was forced to he was forced out by the Freemasons in November of 1918, and interestingly enough, he refused to abdicate. He only surrendered the public exercise of the office. Isn't that interesting? interesting. Doesn't that sound familiar? And so when I came across that a couple of weeks ago, ever since then, blessed, blessed Charles and his wife, the Empress Zita, who is, um, she's not blessed yet, uh, but she is servant of God. She's servant of God, Zita. So they're in on this as well. So prayers all around. That's the Matthew seventeen twenty intention. It's Emperor Carl, but we can correct. I can correct you ne- next time. What did I call him? Charles. Oh well, I mean, you can call him. It's you know, in Italy he's Carlo. Um, in the Anglosphere he is um, he's Charles, and in the Germanosphere he is Carl. Yeah, it's it's a difference without a distinction, I suppose. A difference without a distinction, exactly. And until next time, I am Super Nerd, and I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>